Okay. Thank you, Aslan. Thank you, Gary, for joining the podcast today. Yeah. Welcome to the Yuma Library podcast. This is the second episode. And we have a really uh, special guest, uh, tons of experience and customer experience, innovation, and psychology. Um, Gary Van Brockhoven. He is actually the um, head of innovation at Newform Digital, CEO and founder of Hive Hunters, and also a professor in many universities in Spain. So welcome and thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Um, so we discussed in the first episode, which was about self-sabotage, um, how to overcome self-sabotage. And we mentioned something about building habits and having a minimum success rate that I personally learned from you. And I know that you're an expert in this specific area, which is designing behavior. So I want to ask you about um, what is a habit and what are the ingredients of building habits? So the first thing before you even build a habit is you need to decide what is the behavior you want to do, right? Because a habit really is this, is this getting into this automated state, right? Almost like a reaction, an automated response um, under different situations. So if you were to take, for example, Dr. BJ Fogg's work from Stanford University, he uh, talks about these three ingredients that all behaviors, so before a habit, so all behaviors have, right? And those are the minimum uh, level of motivation, the minimum level of ability, and having the right kind of trigger, okay? And when all of those three ingredients come together, then you can do the behavior. But if one of those ingredients is missing, then the behavior doesn't happen. I think a simple way of looking at that is um, let's say uh, you did a single example, right? something simple, for example, clean the dishes, right? You've got a messy, kitch messy kitchen. If you don't go to the kitchen, right, you probably can forget that you've even got messy dishes that will end up in your kitchen, right? So the moment you walk into your kitchen, you see the dishes, that acts as your trigger. Now the question is okay, there's one of the ingredients, the trigger. But the next question is, what is my motivation to clean it? And what is my ability to clean it? Right. If you have the washing up liquid or the dishwasher, whatever it is you need for the dishes, then you have the ability. Another question about ability is, do you have the time to do it? Is now the right time? That's an ability component, right? Um, are you physically able to do it? Um, are you mentally able to do it? You know, um, All those sorts of things come into play your ability. So let's assume that, yes, there's your trigger, you walked into the kitchen, you are able to do it. You have the equipment required to washing your dishes. Now, the final part is your motivation. Now, people's motivation for cleaning dishes is not famously high, okay? I'm sure there are people out there who love washing dishes. I actually, even though I have a dishwasher, I actually enjoy washing dishes. It's great meditative state, um, and that is my reward mechanism for doing the behavior. It's a time out of a busy day. So for me, I get a motivation and I do it. But for other people, it's, they don't have that motivation. So their motivation is low. So if their motivation is too low, even though they have the ability um, and it's in the trigger, they don't do the behavior. All they need is that motivation to be strong enough for them to do it. Imagine your parents coming home to visit you or some friends coming over, whatever it is, 
that might be just enough motivation to say, oh, okay, I better clean the tissues. Mm -hmm. All right. So this is the first part to doing a behavior. But if you're going to develop a habit, okay, you need to think above and beyond the simple key ingredients. You need to think about, um, actually there's two things that really come to mind, maybe three actually. So one is going to always be the reward. Okay? And there are many, many different types of, of motivation out there. If you were to look at Wikipedia now, on motivational theory, you would probably find 30 different schools of thought. Right? Um, but at its core, um, you need to have a reward. There needs to be a reward for doing the behavior. Right. If there is no reward, it's less likely that you're going to do the behavior. This is important. Now, the reward doesn't have to be big. And something really important that when we talk about rewards, they shouldn't be too far ahead in the future. Okay? Now, this affects people when we think about savings. Mm -hmm. Oh, I want to save five euros or whatever it is a month or a week. Um, for a bigger project. The problem is, if that is something that would take so long to achieve, right, that goal over there, you actually increase the probability of failure. Okay, So you need to think of rewards. Yes, long term is fine, but you need to think of mini rewards. Okay, Every time you do the behavior, the moment of completing the task, the behavior, you must have some form of reward. This is important, right? because your limbic system and your brain, your subconscious, loves rewards, yeah. right? We're very driven by rewards. And, um, and this is something from the days of when I used to design gambling machines. Mm -hmm. It is about the yeah. rewards. It's about the anticipation, that variable rewards that you can get. Um, I wanna, sorry, I wanna give you an example of building a habit in which you don't feel this instant gratification when you do it. Like going to the gym, for example, you're not gonna see your muscles. Well, basically you're gonna feel this dopamine boost, so mm -hmm. that's that's a bit rewarding. Mm -hmm. but, huge. Yeah, but looking at the mirror in the first two months, you're not gonna notice that much difference. Right, so here's the thing about the mirror, okay? <clears throat> so if you look at yourself in the mirror, and I've done this, even though physically I probably haven't changed, mm -hmm. but I've done this, been on a treadmill, Sprinted like a crazy man. I don't know where I was running to on the treadmill, but really running hard. Got all this, you know, all these chemicals, uh, these rewards. It's feeling of joy and empowerment. Oh, amazing! And, really sense for us as well. Oh yeah. So feeling great. The moment you feel in great, get off the machine and go look at yourself in the mirror. Okay. Because here's the thing: if you are feeling great and you see yourself in the mirror that is going to have a positive impact on the, your self-image. Albeit small, it's a positive reflection of yourself. You look at yourself and suddenly you feel a little bit stronger, a little bit sporty, a little bit healthier, a little bit better. You feel mm -hmm. good and you see yourself and that actually amplifies the reward. Okay, so this is important for the, for the treadmill yeah. example. So the mirror is important. In fact, just to give another example, They've done this in Africa, or I don't remember which country in Africa, but I remember reading a, a white paper by a Dr. Neil, who did this, um, this experiment with using mirrors on children and hand washing. So how do you get um, in, a, in certain areas where 
getting at first of all access to soap is hard, but also developing the habit for children to wash their hands, right? And they actually put the mirror there. So they told them the message, look, when you wash your hands, you know, you're keeping yourself clean, that's gonna stop you getting sick, because if you get sick, maybe you make someone else sick, etc. So they have this, they understand why they need to be doing this. Then they have, so they have the right motivation to do it. The soap bar is there by the, the taps. So now they have the ability to do it. And when they go in to wash their hands, they can see the soap bar, so that acts as a trigger. So now they have the basic ingredients. Now they're washing their hands, they're cleaning it, now they feel good because they've done the right thing. Mm -hmm. They feel good, and guess what? The mirror in front is just going to amplify that experience for them, that behavior, right? So it's now amplify the reward. And as a consequence, it's going to increase the probability that they will repeat the behavior. It doesn't guarantee it, mm -hmm. but it certainly increases the probability, and it's important. This is, if you want to develop a habit, you need to be doing behaviors that are one, really easy to do, really easy to do. But two, they make sense of why you want to do it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And getting that trigger set up in front of you, and then when you're doing it, you need to have an instant reward. It could be something small, really intrinsic is better than extrinsic. Mm -hmm. So you hear about people saying, oh, I'm going to give up smoking and then I'm going to buy myself a, whatever, handbag, a, a holiday, it doesn't matter what. Yeah. But it's again up in the future and it's not in the present. Mm -hmm. And the brain doesn't really quite calculate these things like that. So given the reward, the brain goes, wow, I feel good. And it says, what did I do to feel good? Oh, I did this behavior. I should do it again. I should do it again. Wow. All right. And that is the first step. The biggest problem people do is they just, they just give themselves huge challenges because mm -hmm. the day they set their goals, is the day they're hyper pumped up. They probably watch some YouTube video pumping up saying, yeah, you could be the multi-millionaire dude, guy or whatever it is. Yeah, you got the best. Oh. And, you go, and you're so pumped up and you set yourself this target that's so, it's okay to have that goal, mm -hmm. but it's so far away that you've forgotten all the mini steps and rewarding yourself for those mini steps. Right? That's, that's the piece that where people really fail. Yeah, and I remember something that we discussed before, which is um, also that it's it's not good to set a time mm. for these habits. So, for example, I would rather read or say that I want to read 10 pages a day than have one hour reading a day. Cause it, yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's also just worth mentioning. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to ask you, does it take 20 days or 21 days to build a habit? No, not at all. And I'm glad you asked that. The answer is no, no, no. Um, the original research, it's always important with research to first find out who paid for the research. When you pay for the research, you start to figure out what the data is really saying, right? And why the, the results um, is what it is, okay? Depends on who's paying. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I don't remember the exact name of the company. It was a water company and it was related to and they tried, the marketing department wanted to sell more water. Okay, that's fine. Uh, and they said, so the marketing campaign was drinking a bottle a day for 21 days is going to, you know, X, Y, Z, and you're going to have this new healthy habit. Okay. Thing is, 
We're all different, first of all. But secondly, our motivations are different. And our motivations vary from day to day, right? But if I'm drinking lots of water, but I'm feeling, I don't feel anything different, okay? But it's a hassle to have to keep buying this bottle of water, which before I never had to do. So I'm now getting, it's becoming harder to do because I have to leave the building to go buy it. So our ability goes down. I'm not feeling any rewards. So now my motivation is starting to go down. Mm -hmm. Then I'm actually questioning, well, where's my trigger? You can see how actually this can actually derail very, very quickly. Um, the other in the opposite direction, I'm drinking the water, I'm telling my work colleagues, yeah, I'm drinking water, and I'm convinced myself, oh, I'm healthier because of it. Mm -hmm. Well, then I'm starting to feel a reward, and that is motivating me to keep doing it, right? But there isn't this moment, this magical 21 day when you go, da da, I am now in a habit. Um, you look at different behaviors, different activities. Um, people can become gambling machines. They don't need 21 days of gambling nonstop to become to have a gambling addiction yeah. or a bad, you know, an unhealthy or undesirable habit, mm -hmm. right? They don't need that. It, it depends on so many different factors. Why do you think it's often used uh, by people like recommend and building habits? Like it takes 21 days. They haven't done their research themselves. I don't know. I mean, you ask different people. Some people say, oh, no, it needs 30. Some people say, oh, it needs five. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you actually talking about? Like, where is the evidence? For some behaviors, for some people, it might only need three days. For some people, it might need three months. Like, it, it depends on those basic ingredients. If you're really motivated and motivated, and if it's a, such a simple task to do, it's going to be very easy for your subconscious to sort of automate that behavior. Like, bam, I can do this. It's easy. I, I love doing it. We just do it. What's it called? Farmville. Or any really successful computer game. Mm -hmm. Do you think the players needed 21 days to get to habit of when they got home from school, work, or whatever it is, to get on there and start playing? Or Instagram? I think that's a bit different because... Why? It's a habit. Getting the habit. It's a habit, but the apps are built with like some gamification um, aspects that just makes you addicted to the app. But when you want to build a habit, you don't think that much about the fun of it. You just want to read a book to get more knowledge, or you want to go to the gym mm -hmm. to get more muscles. Mm -hmm. But games are a bit different. In what way? I mean, it's the same behavior, mm -hmm. but the reward is different. In what way? You get an instant reward with scoring, you know, scoring high in games, for example, or like... Uh, But, but I think it's funny about games because there are games where it's a bit more complex, the reward system and all that. I mean, some games are more complex where people actually work harder in the game, like RPGs and stuff like that, where, you know, they put them in this game where they have to fight monsters to get gold. And it's a lot of hard work, technically speaking, but they keep doing it. So that's also kind of interesting where, and then obviously like in real life, like some people talk about this analogy, right? Like why would you play a game where you're like this, you fight monsters trying to earn money or like become um, a really influential person. But then in real life, it seems like, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that. Like it's harder. 
So I thought that was also very interesting. Yeah. I mean, some some, some people would would say going to the gym is even harder than playing those games. Some of the game, some of the people who play a lot of these games, they're at home all day. You might, you know, they might never go to the gym. And if you say to them, "Do you want to go to the gym?" That would be really hard. Yeah. I think it's again, it goes back to this: we're all different. We're all different. The, the, the common denominator is for us. There has to be that that right level of motivation. And like I said before, there are many different types of motivation, but we need it. You need to have the motivation to do whatever the behavior is. Sometimes that motivation actually works in, in reverse. So for example, if you think about offering conditioning, so one part is you do the behavior and then you reward for doing that behavior. Mm -hmm. But another thing is um, you can actually reward someone by not doing the behavior. So for example, uh, let me think of it, um, homework. Or sending out those emails or getting the job done at work, you know, by the end of the month, right? You have that goal, okay, it's there. You are capable of doing it, fantastic. But your motivation to do it is pretty low. But then as the time gets drawn closer and closer to the deadline, you know that there's this consequence for not doing the behavior punishment part. So the punishment then acts as a motivator. So if you don't do it, you're going to lose your job, whatever it is. So that can, and that fear of losing your job can be your motivator. Okay. So don't always think the motivation is always as a positive. Sometimes it's moving away from, from something like mm -hmm. fear. Yeah. And speaking about motivation in general, I mean, as you said, it's very complex and, and different for people individually because obviously there could be, I mean, some simple things as like intrinsic, like physiological needs, let's say, mm -hmm. motivation, like hunger or mm -hmm. like thirst, right? Mm -hmm. And then it could be as complex as um, a need for um, like socializing with people or um, so like self-protection. Um, and I know that you know a lot about these um, fundamental motives. Mm -hmm. um, could you please talk more about what they are and how these factors, like how the knowledge of these factors can help people in their daily lives. Yeah. Well, actually, just before I get there, uh, you mentioned about hunger being you know, these intrinsic motivators. So intrinsic motivators are powerful, right? Hunger. <laughs> you can sustain it for so long before you go a little bit crazy and start ravaging, eating cardboard or whatever it is, just mm -hmm. anything to stay alive. Right. But why do we fast? So you're hungry, yet you are more motivated to do one behavior, which is not eat, than do the other behavior, which is eat, right? And this is really important. Every time that you want to do a behavior, there are other motivations for doing other behaviors, which you're also able to do. This is really important because sometimes people fail, right? Look, we all fail at some motivation. We all have goals and it doesn't quite go according to plan. That's fine, right? Sometimes it's, it could be because one of those three ingredients isn't set up properly. Okay. But imagine you're motivated to clean the dishes. You're able to clean the dishes. You walk to the kitchen to see the dishes. But then suddenly your phone vibrates and you open it and it's something from Instagram or a Tinder match or something. And now you're going, well, hang on. 
which one am I more motivated to do and which one is actually easier or more able to do and I have two triggers but one I'm more motivated and it's easier to do versus the one that's harder and less motivated to do you can guess which one wins so this is really crucial for anybody who's trying to set themselves some goals is to think what am I what are my distractions going to leave? Right? If you want to quit smoking, right? so you don't want to do a behavior, you're stopping a behavior, which is really, it's a different conversation and it's actually quite challenging because you create these voids, right? When you stop a behavior, just think about your brain. You have these routines. We're machines of routine. We love routine. So we're in this routine. We can be, we don't even need to drink our morning coffee. We just like zombies can go through the routine. Great. But we remove something from that and our brain goes, oh, it's like a, a, a bug in the program. Like, okay, wait, wait, we've got to here. Now where, how do we get to the next step? There's this void. And we, and sometimes if we're lucky, we can just hop across it and connect the dots and continue. But sometimes that void comes with a pain that comes with this, empty feeling, but we're motivated to fill the void. And then we go and find a new behavior to fill that void. That's why it's quite common when people, when they fail at one thing or they try and stopping something, they ended up do, doing something else that's just as destructive or just as undesirable because they were just trying to fill a void. Okay, so. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking about like, Many people, when they want to quit smoking, they start vaping or like they start another addiction mm. that it's not going to help them. Well, they think that it's going to help them in a way because it's less damaging according to their perspective, but it's building another habit, addictive, building another addictive model, which is not going to help long term wise. Um, I also had an interesting question. So many people talk about discipline mm -hmm. and not motivation. Mm -hmm. They say, well, fuck motivation. It's all about discipline. I don't care about how you're feeling of, or if you're motivated enough, but you, you need to do this thing, basically. What are your thoughts about discipline? Because we didn't talk about it while designing the behavior. All right. I still haven't answered the seven mental states. Oh, yeah. Okay, but we'll get there. <laughs> keep, me, keep me honest here. Okay, uh, discipline. So what is discipline? Are you asking me? Yeah, so what, because you said that you, you know, people say, Fuck motivation, it's all about discipline. So my question is, what's discipline? Well, the way I see it is um, responsibility, knowing that you have to do something. Like you cannot be motivated to work every day, but you have to work every day. But now that I'm thinking about it, it's related to the, <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the school of thought, like you're avoiding hunger basically mm -hmm. by going to work mm -hmm. so there is a motivation behind this discipline like obviously you're not gonna be you're not gonna feel this tony robbins motivation every day to go work but in order to survive you have to go work so that's discipline it's being responsible enough to do something on a daily basis no matter if you feel motivated or not mm -hmm. just subconsciously you're motivated because you're avoiding hunger okay so there's several things in there there's several things in there I actually suggest looking up the definition of, of discipline so that we can agree. I can be young Jamie today. <laughs> so, so have that, yeah, if we can all agree on, on, on a, a definition of discipline. 
But in the meantime, uh, you're right. We, you know, not all of us can be like motivated like Tony Robbins every single day to do every activity, etc. Sure, motivation is a variable. There are times that doing the exact same behavior on one day or one time, your motivation will be higher or lower. Think of it like a heartbeat, right? It's going up and down continuously. And that's really important. This is why it's really important that you have these mini steps mm -hmm. because the danger of motivation is low. If it's a behavior that's so simple to do, you still achieve the behavior. Okay? This is important because if you, if the, to do the success of doing the behavior depends on a lot of motivation, mm -hmm. well, you're actually already pre setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, well, sense yeah well I have the definition of discipline so it's the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience that's the so meaning of discipline according to which sounded a little bit it sounded a little bit different to what you were saying which yeah I believe that's, that's more about consistency perhaps regardless of your motivation mm -hmm. it's about that consistency so you're saying Regardless of if I'm motivated to work today or not, I'm going to be consistent and go. It's Thursday, I'm going to work. It's Friday, I'm going to work. Where if you're in the Middle East, maybe it's the weekend. But... It's, it's, it's mostly associated with people high in conscientiousness mm -hmm. and also who have a sense of responsibility. So that was, that, was, um, that was the reason behind this explanation that I just came up with. But obviously, I don't know the literally the meaning there is something interesting there's this book i don't remember the author but it's pathless travels and a really interesting book actually really interesting book and it talks a lot about delaying gratification um which is interesting because gratification what's the reward mechanism i've just been trying to sell you right that we need and that book is saying oh we should delay it but it's a really interesting book for the same i mean but something in there that i found really important and it's not discussed much at least i'm not hearing people discuss it in the world of you know developing habits and that's ownership of the outcome so you want to go to the gym you want to quit smoking you want to whatever it is okay build up your business fantastic but when the days or the, the behaviors fail you know on this day and that day you eventually get to the point where you stop doing the behavior. Then what happens? Do you blame the world around you or do you take ownership? And I think that's tied into your, your perception of discipline. It's about that. If I own the outcome, right, regardless, that can actually act as, as a bit of a loop back into yourself and say, look, do I really want this? Is it Go on. also getting excited about something? Ask you know, I, I just want to mention something quickly. Now that we're talking about this, I just remember Jocko Willing. Uh, yeah. Extreme ownership. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so extreme ownership and discipline equals freedom. Oh, so okay. they're both attached in a way that's right. Yeah. That's, okay. That's why I got excited. <laughs> um, no, I was thinking about like also kind of doing some kind of pre-work for this kind of thing where you can sit down and let's say talking about the like taking ownership for what happens write down what will happen if you don't mm. 
pursue these things? Like, well, let's say, it's, let's say I don't be the, I, I don't go to gym these days. Like, what's what am I running away from in a way? So the Cartesian question. Yeah. So if, I think this is great. If you ever want to actually design your own habits, and they're not hard to do, but this exercise is really important. Is you sit down and you say, yeah, what. You can set an end goal. Oh, I want to have a six pack, or I want to whatever travel the world and say, okay, great. Whatever that end goal is, that's fine. But going down to the real actual behaviors, what are those steps I need to take? And there's always a lot more steps than you realize, but what are they? And then you ask this Cartesian question. So if, let's take, and this is how it works, and everybody should do this. Your end goal is the positive thing. We'll assume that going to the gym is a positive thing. You want to do it. Great. So the first question is, what do I gain by achieving this goal? What do I gain by achieving this goal? And you write that down. Then you're going to reverse the question. You're going to say, well, what do I lose if I don't? Most people's first intuition or instincts is to say, oh, well, isn't that just the opposite? Well, no, try it. Try it and you'll suddenly discover that actually there's a lot more to write in what you will lose than what you'll gain. And when you understand that, and you need to always keep that with you, okay? Yeah. Especially the days that are hard. The days when the motivation is just not there or the ability for some whatever reason it is it's just hard. Then you say, okay, remind myself, what, what do I gain by doing this? And more importantly, what do I lose if I don't? And when you let that sink in and you, and you feel your motivation change, it changes for you and you go, you know what? Screw this, I'm doing this. That's commitment, discipline. Yeah. And I think in general, when it comes to discipline as well, I think like, um, like getting up every day doing the same thing. I know there's this approach of like, in a way, programming yourself kind of unconsciously. Or consciously. Unconsciously. Yeah. To become, eventually becomes unconscious, yeah. but yeah, you yeah. can be conscious. So like just like, and I know there's this um, exercise that we've been doing as well, this um, SBA, um, it's like an NLP thing where you sit down and you write like your goals, where you're coming from, where you're going. So in a way, it's like all these things, if you make them clear to yourself and like have them printed out, put them up on the walls where you're always reminding yourself these things, it eventually becomes unconscious. And at that point, I think getting up in the morning, would that be easier to do in a way because it's like already kind of unconsciously programmed into you? Or is that kind of a... So I just want to check something. Yeah. <laughs> so getting up, uh, getting up earlier. So your routine would be, let's just imagine here, you're saying that normally every day you wake up at 8 a.m., yeah. but you've decided that you want to wake up, become part of the 5 a.m. club. Oh, yeah. So you just get up and do and reading and work right. on business. <laughs> right. So come 5 a.m., day one. Remember, you probably went to bed the exact same time as you do every other day because we're machines of routine. So there you go. So suddenly now you've had three hours less sleep. How motivated are you to really wake up? Not really. But remember that we have multiple motivations 
always working at once. So we wake up at 5 a.m. You feel tired, right? Your eyes are bloodshot, okay? And you haven't slept properly. So you are very motivated to stay in bed, cozy, warm, relaxed. Oh, tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Today's just a bad day. Do it tomorrow. But you then have this other motivation, this other voice. Um, think of it like the angel, the devil, or the yin yang, right? This other voice that says to you, no. We want to do this because, and if we don't, we will lose out because, you know, what do we gain and what do we lose? And suddenly that hopefully will override the motivation to stay cozy in bed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I was just thinking about this um, as a form of negotiation phase. So whenever you wake up, you start negotiation with yourself, like, okay, maybe I'm just going to like sleep a bit, like just five minutes more, or like I'm just gonna chill a bit, I'm just gonna check my phone. But then you start negotiating with yourself, basically. And if you keep delaying just waking up, then I don't think it's gonna happen from, from a personal experience. Like you just need to go wake up and have this five seconds rule, like just, okay, mm -hmm. system one, system two, maybe we're gonna expand on that later. Mm -hmm. But that's basically it. Um, just to keep track of time and topics, um, we were about to discuss the fundamental motives until yes. I just disrupted you guys. So, yeah. What would you like to know? They're very, very important uh, motives. Fundamental. That's the, the, you know, and often referred to as the ultimate motives. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you think about why do we do what we do? So there are these proximate motives. You know, why did you, why did you eat that donut? Well, because I was hungry. Okay, but you had probably other things you could eat, right? Mm -hmm. Not just the donuts. Okay. But if you then look, so that's the proximate motive. But as you look deeper and deeper and deeper, it, actually I say deeper and deeper and deeper as if it's a long way away. It's not far away at all. It's just one level deeper. You say, okay, what is it about the donut? Say, well, it's high in sugar, high in fat, it's high in, oh, high in all the stuff that from an evolutionary perspective, we valued it all kept us alive. Now these evolutionary motives are still prevalent today, not just from the days we were living in caves. Our limbic system is still pretty much the same as back then. And if you understand it like that, you then can understand, right, so we're still being motivated by the same things, but we're living in a very different world. But they're still being activated. And when you understand that, you start to ask the question, well, well, what motives are there? And they, in, I think it was uh, 2013, I think it was, um, two uh, psychologists did some research actually on these and tried to look at the limbic system and find out which parts were being triggered for what and try to really break it down. Conclusion, there were seven mental or ultimate motives or fundamental motives, seven. Now, of those seven, almost everything we do and buy today, in particular, I'm talking now from a consumer psychology perspective, almost everything we buy today is connected to one of those motives. And whichever motive is more um, stimulated, right, or aroused is more of the correct term, whichever one is being most aroused is the one that's going to dominate the decision-making. So I'll give you a simple example. So, 
for seven, try and memorize them, remember them by memory. Um, protection against physical harm, multi-billion dollar industry, loads of activities from karate, learning, learning karate to buying pepper spray or a gun, you know, or locks on your house, protection against physical harm. Disease avoidance, we're all very familiar to how that makes us feel, you know, suddenly have to wear the masks and everyone's starting to feel very anxious, social anxiety. Um, so protection against physical harm. Um, social connectivity, we all know that. We all know we've all evolved thanks to a bit of teamwork. Instagram. But again, Instagram, Tinder, whatever, going to the, to the bar, you know, watching or, you know, having a favorite football team. They're all social connectivity things, and they, has, they dominate our lives so much. Um, then there's status. Social signaling. Social signaling, status. But here's the thing. Amongst your friends, each one of you will have status at something. Maybe one of your friends is that Instagram influencer. Fine. Um, your job is not to compete on the Instagram thing, but you need to have status at something in the group. Because with that status comes value too, to mm. the rest of the group. Mm. Because there's this knowledge exchange or power exchange or something, right? You all unlock doors to help each other. That's the thing of the, but you all need to have status at something. So status, mate attraction. Okay, this isn't a question about, you know, which gender or anything, but mate attraction. So we do, when we are aroused, right? So when that motive is, you know, it's been aroused, and actually we are perhaps sexually aroused by, you know, that mate. Our behaviours totally change. Right? The clothes we buy, makeup, all these, even the behaviours, risk taking. So in men, um, men who are aroused, uh, you know, and then mate attraction, um, in particular, um, increase their risk taking. Puff out the chest, uh, talk a little louder. You'll notice that uh, females will maybe bring their hair more. Um, and there's a whole series of, you know, there's a whole number of conversation, mm -hmm. right? Of what are all the behaviors under every, every of the seven? Yeah. Okay, but they've all got that thing. Um, so mate attraction. Then you get your mate, you want to retain the mate. If you've invested all that energy and finance and whatever it is you've done, gone to the gym, bought nice clothes, X, Y, Z, taking them out for a nice day, right? you want to retain them. Okay, so you retain them. Um, things like jealousy. Jealousy comes from mate retention. Uh, reminiscing is a, is a mate retention exercise. You know, hey, honey, do you remember when we... What you're doing is you're trying to bond. You're retaining the mate. Um, and then you've got... Um, let me just try to remember all of them. And then you've got kink uh, care. Kink care isn't just about children. It's also about the elderly or the vulnerable. You know, you see someone struggling to cross the road. If that part of your brain is being aroused, then you, that will motivate you to go above and beyond to take care of that person. Incidentally, according to their research, kin care is the only selfless motivation. So where we put the other person before ourselves. That's according to their research. I find that very very, very interesting. And all the other ones are quite, are more selfish acts. So it's a bit, it's not, I'm not saying it's a negative, it's just the evolution has designed it in that way. Those that had those, that were selfish sometimes and were not, was selfless sometimes, you know, in that sort of 
group tended to do better. And we all have them. But some of us have certain of those uh, motives are more sensitive or more developed than others, which is why some people choose careers that are more about kincare. You know, some other people might choose other careers in mate attraction, I don't know. Great to understand that. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting that everything we do, even like small things on a daily basis, are justified basically by behaviorism. Mm. You know? um, and it's, it's good to have you also to expand more on the schools of thought of, of, uh, of motivation. So you mentioned evolutionary perspective, mm -hmm. but I'm sure there are others that you can just, yeah. There's lots. Well, just the main ones that we can just okay. expand on. Well, maybe it's worth just mentioning about mm -hmm. Maslow's triangle. Do we want to get that out of the way? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Maslow's hierarchy, um, I'm sure you like the rewired version. I think yeah. it was um, it was rewired in 2014 or 2012. Maybe. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm going to do a fact check. But um, it's, it's all about connection and social connectivity, right? Right. So, so Maslow's triangle, which is the one that most people understand, right? If you go to do your MBA, right, you will at some point come across the Maslow's triangle. And it's kind of pushed as if it's the main school of thought to motivation. It is a school of thought, but there are others. And, and it's important to not forget about the others and learn the others. But also the fact that Maslow's triangle, there are many psychologists out there who have pretty much debunked it and said it's it's not realistic. My understanding is it was developed during the times of, uh, you know, looking at factory workers and looking at their hierarchy of needs. But that doesn't mean that every person under every situation has the exact same identical hierarchy of needs, because it talks, you know, talks about um, self-actualization which also mentions is, is pretty much the impossible to achieve. Okay. But there are people who are, uh, say, Buddhist monks or other types of people who, uh, anyone who even does long-term fasting, but anyone that does like that, you are actually already going against Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, talk about the basic needs, food, shelter. Um, another part of his basic needs is sex. There are many people who don't have sex in their life and guess what they're still alive today so you know and they actually are prioritizing other things in their lives and that's just fine because they have other motivations and that's why this triangle has been a little bit debunked now there's just too many instances where against that and for it um, so the other one whenever it was 2014 16 2012 um, which is called Maslow rewires and uh, basically puts it as more instead of a triangle as a circle and that the circle is that social connectivity which connects us back to evolution mm -hmm. so the evolutionary school of thoughts right for motivation and that makes sense you, you it's hard to achieve any of the other things in Maslow triangle without that social connectivity so that's why the rewind puts it at the heart so could you elaborate a bit more on how that process happens, like why is it the social connectivity that's, that's so important? That, yeah, but that without it, the, the, the others wouldn't. Okay, so let's, let's remove social connectivity and see what we are left with. If, well, we certainly could have this conversation yeah. about social connectivity. Uh, 
could you be a hermit? So live in a cave by yourself, be 100% sustainable, as in you have access to food, um, you know, emotional well-being, um, you know, you're taking care of the shelter and everything like that. There are rare cases, and that's the point, isn't it, where however many billions we are today, there are rare cases of people who are able to do that, but not many. So in, in a way, it's like almost, when you speak about it, it's like self-sustaining without interacting with others or needing kind of social, um, like a community, in a way? A community, absolutely. Without, yeah. yeah. We need our tribe, right, to coin the term from Seth Godin, right? So finding your tribe is crucial for emotional well-being. Um, I'm actually, we talk about emotional well-being, that pain when we don't, we're not part of our tribe, that feeling of loneliness is a motivator. It's that negative motivator to push us to go out and do a specific behavior, find your tribe. Yeah, that's so true. I, I remember the video I watched recently. Of, I mean, there are some of these videos on YouTube where um, it's about like a guy who lives in a forest by himself. Um, I think this one was in somewhere like in Siberia. He just moved out of his village and he just built himself a hut and he lives by himself with a dog. And yeah, he just cooks for himself, gets food, uses traps to... The dog might be useful. I would actually count that in as such a, a bit of connectivity there. <laughs> Emotional well-being. I mean, it's going to help provide. The dog is a tool. I don't know, uh, that's a little bit borderline yeah, and yeah. some people will be like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Fine, whatever. No, I know there's one detail though. I remember that he, well, in summers when it's warmer, he goes out to the village to get oh. some resources, okay. to buy some food and, you know, to store it. So even then, I mean, it's, it's still... It's, yeah, it, it is important. But... Yeah, I was, I was thinking about some few ideas in the meantime about social connectivity. I remember I read something... Um, I was trying to remember the name of the author, but the author of Sapiens. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, he 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 was talking basically about the difference between like, well, um, our species basically and and animals. And he said the main thing is that we thrive collectively, and we need this kind of being part of a community basically. From a stoic approach, also they because I'm interested in stoicism. Um, they mentioned this thing that you need to live according to nature. And that's also being um, highly sociable, but also you should not be afraid of living alone if it's like, if it's temporary or if it's needed. Um, I was also thinking about the different um, behaviors designed, designed by people just to fit in a certain tribe or community. Yeah. So you can see some people just trying to be funny or like do this different hairstyles or do it, whatever it takes just mm -hmm. to fit in in a certain community, mm -hmm. which is super interesting because this could be the main motivation of people just changing completely their behavior and changing their identity just to fit in. Well, starting with their clothing and their hairstyle. Yeah. Yeah, the clothing, their hairstyle, the TV shows they watch. Yeah because they'll then go and talk about that the next day with their, their tribe members and that keeps the bond, right? So, yeah. What is, what is the importance of finding a purpose as a motivation? Wow. 
<laughs> Nietzsche. <laughs> yeah, well, not just Nietzsche. I mean, talk, um, you know, man's search for meaning. Yeah, Victor Frankl. Yeah. yeah, I highly recommend that book. Amazing book. Uh, loved it. The yeah. What do you want me to say about it? it, it it's so important. We can all lose meaning. We all have moments where we lose meaning, right? Mm. We can all be in a habit of doing behaviours in routines. Ten years down the line, some of you wake up and go, what the hell am I doing? I hate my job, I don't like X, Y, Z. And then you have this, this realisation, you have almost like a, like a crisis. And this is now talking to Eric Erickson, the psychologist who came up with the term midlife crisis. And actually he refers to these different stages of life you go through, and each stage is a crisis. It's like a, in part a mini identity crisis, but it's also just how you are socially developing, right? From childhood all the way through to adulthood, you know, even to your third age. Um, but what I'm trying to say is along that journey of your life, your meaning, right? The thing that's truly motivating you um, might change too. That's okay. And I don't even think you need to overly reflect and analyze and start to doubt, oh, does my life have meaning? You know? I think it's okay to ask the question, but don't let it, don't let it kill you, literally. <laughs> because you decided, oh, I, I don't have a meaning, therefore I don't have a will to live, mm -hmm. right? We've all got a meaning, but it's not just one thing. There's lots of reasons why. It could be because you make the person in the bakery smile every morning when you say good morning. That's, that's part of your meaning too. Your meaning is to still be a child to your parents, however old you are. It could be so many things. And I think sometimes you see on TV or YouTube or how to find your meaning in X, Y, Z. Like it's an okay exercise, but just don't let it, don't panic. About it. Like, no, you've got a thousand reasons. Yeah, and I think like for a lot of people, this question is, yeah, it's not that they don't have a meaning. I think also it's that they don't know what their meaning is mm. as well. Mm. Like thinking of some things that are happening unconsciously where people are motivated by things they aren't aware of and that is their meaning, but they don't know. That. Yeah. yeah. I think it's okay. I think it's okay. Like if you think that you, there are a thousand little meanings to life, to your life, you don't need to know a thousand. Like you said, there are these or intrinsic or subconscious motivations that's drawing you to do something. Don't worry. It's under control. Your subconscious knows the meaning just because you don't consciously know it. Your subconscious knows what the plan is. Just let it kind of go with it. it it'll push you. It'll push you in the right direction. It kind of knows where to go. So, that's that's a very interesting approach. I think like um, is that kind of like the duality of approaches where one is like kind of go with the flow and another one is like you can take conscious control of your meaning or like where you're going, where you're like becoming aware of mm -hmm. these unconscious things in your life. I, I remember Carl Jung's quote about like yeah, if you're not aware, I'm probably butchering this, but if you're not aware of your unconscious motivations, you're like an actor in a play and you don't know what the play is about or like you don't know what's going on. So yeah. I think like for people, is it also a valid thing to be able to like 
don't know how to like make it clear for yourself to become aware of like just think about what you what is motivating you or what is your meaning to do things like what and do, maybe it's a it, maybe it's something that you don't want for example to, that to yeah i mean many philosophers um through the history of time have always valued that reflection right that's what they do and that's what they're exceptional at but that doesn't mean we all have to stop our entire lives and say, well, I'm not going to do another day's work until I figure out my meaning. <laughs> you know, it's okay to, and, and I'm saying this, and I'm actually hearing myself say this as if I'm actually, it's like my subconscious is actually talking to me out loud right now, yeah. because I am someone who naturally is very reflective yeah. and I do like to stop and understand the mechanics i mean that's how i got into this industry in the first place but i also recognize that when i've just said you know what switch off the lights and stop reflecting for a minute and just roll with whatever's in front of you it's amazing how it kind of panned out pretty okay i'm still around today and i'm more or less put my shit together and i didn't need to control it all after all and more often than not whenever i just let it go I think it possibly came out better than I actually planned. Mm -hmm. A little bit scary sometimes. If you're a little bit controlling and you don't like to let go of these things, I understand my heart is with you entirely. But my experience tells me, hey. Yeah, I think the thing about meaning, especially nowadays, is that you get triggered when you compare your purpose or like your meaning with other people, especially if they're like authority figures or like celebrities and they're selling you basically a dream that for you is super, um, super far away from, from reaching, right? And you start comparing and you're like, yeah, well, is this actually my meaning or maybe should I have like a bigger purpose in life? Like I should, I don't know, write this book to leave something to the world or like um, invent something that it's gonna help other people or you can have a simple purpose of just making people smile like like you mentioned. And I'm now thinking about um, Robert Greene's book, uh, Mastery, mm -hmm. and he talks about this primal inclination. So basically he, he asks people to dig deep into like their childhood and discover what they were like to do back then. Because mm -hmm. that's like, there is nothing motivating you other than your curiosity of trying things. Mm -hmm. And if you connect with something, this is probably your primal, your primal inclination. So um, now you can, you can, you can be, uh, I don't know, like a designer or like a marketer or something just because there is some hype over these jobs. So like you're not super motivated because it connects with you, but just because you heard it, it's a successful profession, let's say. Mm -hmm. But back then when you were a child, you like drawing because you actually like it. You like the process. But you're not gonna be that motivated when you hear that, yeah, well, it's not gonna give you bread or like you need to choose something else to survive. And then you kind of lose your meaning. So in order to be a master or like mastering something, and he, he goes back and he talks about Da Vinci, he talks, back about, he talks about Darwin, and they all had this primal inclination that it's their source of motivation behind reaching this mastery level. So it just connected with me now. Yeah. No, I, I actually, I think that's, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, there are people 
who really, are, and here's the thing, I don't know if they, they were even conscious that this is their meeting, but they subconsciously were motivated to get out early out of bed in the morning at 5 a.m. or whatever it is. They were just driven, like, so they had that connection and it just kept them going. And, um, yeah. I, but here's the thing, there are those people, and yes, we can all be those people, and yes, I think it's a healthy exercise to take a little time out, to learn about yourself, learn lots about yourself, but certainly don't beat yourself up about, oh, because I compared myself with so-and-so who's a bigger influencer than me, or, because there'll always be Someone bigger, better, taller, smarter, faster, something or other, whatever it is, richer, I don't know, who's going to live longer than you. And, and, and you get these people who will broadcast the world that, you know, that, you know, you too can be like them. Okay, but do you really, really, really need to be like them? Or could you just learn to just be you? And actually by you spending less time trying to be like them and more being like yourself, could that be the quickest way to find your own meaning? Mm. I don't know. That's yes. Good tips. Very, yeah, it's... Uh, I'm not proposing to, to be the guru in your life's wisdom, but... No, I think that these, yeah, cause it made, these things make me think about so many things. It's very complex. I mean everyone because like it will also come from like if you think about individual people as you said who like as you said you don't have to be like them but then also certain people you know they could have certain childhood experiences or they could have had a certain life which has led them to mm -hmm. this point where they're kind of like have this identity crisis or like mm -hmm. that and then when you when you live in such a global world where it's like almost everyone's telling you what you need to be or who you could be and then you're trying to like try out these personas again like, you're trying to fit yeah, to their perspective you're trying to like oh maybe i should be this kind of guy or that kind of guy or it's it's like i think now probably it's harder than ever to kind of maybe like what you're talking about primal inclination to just kind of pursue your thing that just made you happy you know but i think that i think that's that's the goal yeah that's the goal because otherwise you'll always be comparing to someone else and trying to be a little bit more like them. And I, I think, and, and here's the thing also about, you know, identity and Eric Erickson and, and the crisis. I mean, his, his sort of mindset, right, is you're going to go through these, I think there's eight or nine different stages of life. Eight. eight. Okay, great. I'm glad someone here, <laughs> someone here, not a psychologist, <laughs> actually remembers. That's good, thank you. So if you think of these eight stages of life, right, that means there's eight crises. And they're all crises about you. How do I fit in? Have I been productive, you know, in, in this world? Um, you know, and, and, and who am I? You're supposed to have those, according to him. You're supposed to have those. You're supposed to hit crises. That's the game plan. If you want to make it into a video game, yeah. yeah. We're meeting up the zombies. <laughs> well, guess what? You're going to have a whole, through your life, a whole bunch of zombies in those heads you're going to have to somehow deal with. Yeah. Sometimes you want to hide and sometimes you're going to want to beat them up. But yeah, it, it's like, it's one of those like, things people, I guess, it's not a sexy thing to, to hear. Like, when it comes to especially like this 
today where everyone's focused on self-improvement and like getting better at things and everyone's selling you these image of like you know this person who's just like perfect at everything or like and there are so many things you skip in your head like i will have all these challenges troubles and some of the most troubled people that i have have, i have met were yoga instructors (laughs) (laughs) and i've known them very well for a very long time oh gosh and the amount of I mean, if they see this, they'll get very upset, but it's okay. It's my opinion, and, and maybe they will agree with me. You'll see that on their, you know, their Instagram, these great praises, and they're 50,000 followers, and love you die, and you think, oh, well, they must have reached, they must have attained enlightenment, these yoga instructors or whatever. But like I said, no, no, they're so far at the back of the queue that it's actually quite shocking. But when you, it's like, um, it's like, um, what's it called? Uh, the Wizard of Oz. You know, when it pulls back the curtain, if anyone hasn't seen The Wizard of Oz, that old, I don't know how old that is, that's before my time, but the story behind it is you pull back the curtain and you see that behind it, reality isn't, you know, what you think it is. And I actually think about all these famous people, you think, what tribe are they part of? You know, what's their tribe? How do they mentally hack this? And the amount of stories you hear about, you know, these these famous people who, guess what? They've just struggled like us. And then, you know, many of them end up in, you know, uh, rehabilitation centers and whatnot. They're just as human as us and they're shouting louder and they're shouting more clearly. And we think, oh, well, because of, and they're very confident. And it's interesting, actually, this goes to Daniel Kahneman about uh, confidence. And there's lots of research around confidence. And um, I can't remember what different biases around confidence, but the stats, the numbers mm. would say, you meet someone incredibly confident, there could be a flag there, right? Don't always believe the most confident in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, that's a curtain, that's a curtain. You want to pull back the curtain and see what's really there, okay? Am I deviating from habit design? No, no, no. I think it's all related to uh, designing the behavior. But I just remember something also from Robert Greene's book, is that um, people who keep praising their, like, um, status or, like, showcase this confidence, they don't have enough confidence to even like work on small projects or like if if you look at their accomplishments you're not gonna find any because they they just keep talking basically and bragging about work um so that's that's super interesting in terms of like um signaling these kind of archetypes of people just showcasing something but obviously there are many layers when when you meet people especially like in the first um the first encounter of like um when, when, when you get to connect with them a bit more. Um, going back to behaviorism, and that's, that's a personal question, and I think many people know they suffer from stress and anxiety. Uh, and me too. Yeah, well, that's, that's the two of us, as not it? Same. Yeah, okay, good. So um, what, what would be your advice 
for people dealing, or for you as well, <laughs> dealing with stress and the anxiety? How, how do you manage to reduce your stress and overcome anxiety, especially in these stressful days? It's very easy. It's really so easy. I can't believe I, I, I still am stressed. So apparently, all you have to do is just live in the moment, live in the presence. Because if you're stressed, for example, anxiety, oftentimes you have this what if playbook in your head, right? You're going, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if that? And in, this, in the end, you start to feel overwhelmed with the noise in your head. And often it's trying to live in the future trying to solve the problems of the future now. So having a to-do list that you can't do now, it can only, you can only finish it in the future, but you want it now. And so you get stressed, right? I'm sure there are other ways of getting stressed. We could probably write a book, 101 ways of being stressed. <laughs> a thousand and one ways, rather, yeah. But they say that by taking the time out and to focus with what you can change now, and it feels very cliche, and I must admit, I actually struggle with, with, with this, of just saying, stop, no, I can't do that now, and I can't live in the future now, I can't live in the past now, I can only be here now, and what can I do now? And asking the question, what options do I have? Look, that's the textbook, but sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I wish there was a pill for that. Well, there is, but I don't know. I mean, you touched up on the topic of um, being in the moment, mm -hmm. and it's, I mean, that's something that's really directly connected to, like, mindfulness and meditation. That's something that people mm -hmm. do these days a lot, and it's become, like, a trendy thing. And um, what do you think? Have you done, like, yeah. meditation? Do you, do, do you meditate? How has it changed your, like, experience of stress? Yeah, so I came across... Buddhism. Uh, interestingly, I grew up. I grew up in a Muslim, in Muslim countries, and then um, exposed to a lot of Christianity. Um, but um, you know, I, ne I never became a Muslim. Never really became a Christian either. But I'm conscious of, of you know some of the teachings at least, very limited. But I always felt there was, there was something that void in myself. That's my purpose, right? My why. And, and then I came across something by Jack Cornfield, a well-known American um, uh, psychotherapist, but also a Buddhist preacher. And uh, I found some audio stuff on him. Every chapter, every audio just made sense. Really basic, really basic. And then I started going to certain, uh, you know, believed to be some Buddhist monks would come into town and they'd go and sign up and do all that sort of stuff and do uh, meditation classes. All of it helped. All of it really, really helped. I think it's come down to discipline. Um, you know, you get to, here's something that happens as well. When we're trying to achieve a goal, um, you know, we, we sometimes get halfway and we feel better, especially with something like health. You know, oh, I've lost a little bit of weight now. Uh, even though the goal was to have a six-pack, you've lost a little bit of weight, you already feel better, and you think, oh, I can now start eating junk food again or something. You, you have this sort of plateau, and, and you kind of think, oh, I'm, I'm cured now. No more stress. I found my meaning. It's all peace. And so you stop it. You stop taking the medicine, and then guess what happens? Stress comes back. And it is, a, a, for me at least, 
in that regard, the meditation, and they used to do a lot of yoga as well, um, nice. everyone to themselves. And um, the, Buddhist, the best thing I liked about Buddhism um, was once this Buddhist monk said, um, you can start all Buddhism into um, just a few words. In fact, four words. And it was this, it's, um, you know, if you think of Buddhism as a philosophy, you know, a way of life, how to live a life, his words were, just don't be a dick. <laughs> I really, it doesn't, it doesn't. I was not expecting this coming from a monk. <laughs> yeah, I was either. But, but if we just stop for a moment, we all know what it's, what a, what an idiot would be like and that the behaviours they do, we just don't need to do those behaviours. Mm. There's meaning in life just by not being a dick. Facts. <laughs> no, 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 no white paper, um, PhD research pick on that one, but I think we can all agree that it, it does. Okay, well, I think I have a last question from my side, just for people who are interested in learning more about designing behavior or behaviorism in general. What books would you recommend? Well, if you're, if you're certainly feeling a little bit lost, um, you know, you've lost the way, there's a couple of books I do recommend, but I'm all for remembering the names of these books. Um, if you'd told me in advance, and I could have actually made a list, I apologize. But the two books we actually mentioned before, um, The Path Less Traveled, um, there's a lot about motivation. There's a lot about meaning. There's a lot about understanding who you are, but also man's search for meaning. It really is an incredible book. Love it. Um, those two are, I think, foundational ground books, like at the roots. Then you can go out and find, well, me, you know, university lecturing, I like to find, you know, white papers. I love searching for the latest white paper on certain specific subjects. I love all that. So that's my world that I'm kind of living. Um, but certainly researching the seven fundamental um, motives. That's going to really help you understand why you buy what you buy. Mm -hmm. It's going to waken you up. It's going to make you smile as you start to realize, like, oh, how I decide this pen over that pen or this iPad over another tablet. And you realize that there's not much rationality happening at all. And then you start to realize, oh, my God, we are incredibly irrational. And then you can read a book by Dan Marley um, on irrational, uh, damn it, I can't remember the name of the book. And it's got the word irrational in the title. Maybe we'll put it in the link. Yeah, we'll find it and put it somewhere. It's really Dan Arley, brilliant. So any books on behavioral economics is, oh, there's a great book I really enjoy. 50 Ways to Yes, like 50 mini chapters. These are ones that you can read on the toilets, you know, three pages long. It'll make you smile, but it'll also educate you as to how irrational the world is, how decision-making is, um, and um, what other books? I mean, there's uh, loads, but that's what's in my head right a second. Yeah, I mean, we can maybe include them in the description. Yeah, I'll stay up and some more. Yeah. And I can add a couple more in there. Well, um, I don't really have anything else to add, maybe. I have a question. Yeah. You're asking me questions about how to do it, so are you trying to design a habit? Uh, well, currently, no. 
I'm not thinking about any new habit. What I was trying to focus on, and maybe that's also related to my question about stress, is that um, there's something that I cannot control now, and I'm just waiting for a response, right? Mm -hmm. So it's stressing me a bit out. Mm -hmm. um, but I read a book by Dale Carnegie, which, which mm -hmm. was like helpful. Yeah. And, start living, stop worrying and start living, mm -hmm. or the other way around. Um, all these books sound a bit like cliche, but like they're, they're solid, like they're supported by mm -hmm. good evidence. And what I'm trying to do is distracting myself with work. So um, I stopped self-sabotaging myself from doing this podcast. Um, I'm doing more work. Um, I'm, I'm trying to distract myself from this by doing work, basically. And for now, it's I would say it's going well, but I'm not designing any behavior. I was doing the 5 a.m. during our class, if you remember. So yeah, that was. But you stopped it. Yeah, I stopped. Okay. Well, Insomnia related. Okay. Yeah, because you mentioned this then also, and I think we discussed it in class. Um, but I was a bit harsh on myself because I had insomnia, but I also wanted to wake up at 5 a.m. So whenever I don't manage to do so, just because of sleeping two hours or like three hours. I would beat myself up just because I didn't do it. So now I'm taking it a bit like slow. Okay, I need to fix this problem first and then move to this habit. I always do it from time to time whenever I have a tight schedule and maybe I need to go to the gym before work because I'm busy after work. So I do special cases, but not on a daily basis. Yeah. Okay. okay. How about you? Um, for me, I think it was more my interest in this was probably more driven by um, like our audience and what we want to do for people and like from the perspective of like just an ordinary person I think a lot of us are struggling with achieving our goals or um, living the life we want to live and I think part of building that is like having the right habits in place and your behavior is kind of everything when it comes to this so and I mean for me as well I've been recently more like trying to yeah design my life in a way more I guess like just being more aware of things um, after I graduated so now I have a bit more time and flexibility I'm trying to kind of have my shit together and like try to yeah be more conscious of it. actually there's one last point I want to make sure that the audience is really aware of when it's about habits I mean remember I mentioned about you know when machines are routine so you take something out, there's this void, something you're lucky can join up. But what people forget when they design new habits is there's only 24 hours in a day. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing a, a new behavior, what, you gonna, what behavior are you going to remove? Because the behavior requires time to do the behavior. Yeah. And people forget that. Go, oh, I'm going to start training for a marathon. Fantastic. That's brilliant. But what are you going to stop doing? Yeah. Something has to give for you to get. So yeah, I think like for myself personally, probably social media or like just being on your phone is like the number one thing that by cutting that out completely, I could save myself like two hours a day probably. And I've reduced that significantly already. Like I'm trying to be really aware of how much I'm losing. Yeah, I set an alarm. I set an alarm, I think it's 15 minutes max in the day. And, and I religiously, when it goes off, when it hits me, I'm out of there because I know that I'm wasting my life, wasting. And I, sometimes, I, and when my motivation is a bit low, 
they go, oh, I could do it. I sometimes stop and go, wait, how many hours would I have saved in a week, mm-hmm. in a month, in a year? Oh, I could have done a whole degree. Yeah. <laughs> um, Actually, yes. instead yeah. of looking at cats or something, I'm even allergic to cats, so what am I doing looking at cats for? <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I chose the other way of just deactivating my accounts. It's been more than a month and a half. And I'm not thinking about going back. I might go back just to showcase this mm-hmm. or like do some, some branding for the podcast or sharing it with my friends. But I'm not going to do it for like personal reasons to just like check people's stories or. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy person and you made some time for this. So thank you so much. And um, I would appreciate having you again in the future because I know you also have a lot of knowledge business-wise, innovation and customer experience and how you actually implement psychology in the business world. So that's going to be interesting to hear. But I appreciate having you as a first guest. And um, yeah, Aslan, do you want to say thank you as well? Um, Yeah, thank you so much. This was very interesting for me personally um, and I hope for listeners as well. Yeah, I can't wait for another discussion. All right. Okay. Yeah. I, I hope I hope your audience tries it out. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> well, well. Um, I'm yeah. sorry. I know it's uh, six forty-seven. <laughs> oh, we're falling. Yeah, I know. Oh, well, I had a had a meeting. <laughs>